Let's get behind him today. First of all, I want to say I am, uh, I'm very thankful for both my pastor who came to me uh, about two weeks ago and um, asked me to preach for not too long, like 10, 10 15 minutes, so I hope I don't, I don't keep you guys too long. Um, but I am extremely grateful that he thought of me, that the Lord, um, like it's, it's a blessing. I don't take this lightly. I really don't. I, um, this, this means a lot to me, and I just want to be used um, through God. And I'm thankful for my uncle to share the pulpit with him. Uh, I'm also pretty biased, but he has been one of my favorite preachers, just the way that he preaches and engages the audience. It has inspired me ever since I heard uh, there was an Avengers message that you did a while back. I don't know if you remember, with props, and it was a whole thing, but it, it really touched me, and it, it changed the way I saw preaching. And um, it's truly an honor for me to um, be able to preach alongside him. So like I said, I'm not trying to keep you guys too long but I do think that the Lord has given me something today. And I am very passionate. I felt it all week. And I pray that you can get behind me. Like I said, I'm not too great at all this yet. It's kind of new. Um, so yeah, that, that's all right. Okay. So allow me to set the scene for everyone. The clock strikes midnight in Massachusetts, 1775. The night is silent. The stars are in the sky. I'm sure there's some kind of cold breeze. I'm not ex- I wasn't there. It was, seven, it was 1775. In the little town of Medford, Massachusetts, the silence of this night is interrupted by the gallop of a horse as it enters the city. Everyone's awakened by this noise as the rider screams out, the British are coming. Now, just hours ago, the rider, Paul Revere, was informed that 800 regulars had just taken up arms and marched out of Boston for Concord. Now, Concord was special because Concord was where all of the munitions and the ammo supplies for, um, you know, the rising rebellion, as Caleb knows all this because he's a, he's a history teacher. I, I hope I'm doing all right, recapping. Um, so, yeah, if they can get to Concord, they can essentially squelch the resistance before it even gets under its feet, before it even happens. So as the British slowly make their march from Boston toward the end of a rebellion, 70 Minutemen are awakened by a single writer, Paul Revere. 70 Minutemen prepare themselves in the middle of the night to fight for the fate of a country. Now fast forward about eight hours. It's 8 a.m. on April 19th. The ominous Brits finally arrive just north of Concord at uh, Concord Bridge over, over the river, Concord River. They're about a mile away from the shed that housed all the munitions, all the ammo. They're a mile away from squelching this resistance before it even can happen. As they begin to cross this bridge, 800 regulars, they spot 500 Minutemen in the distance, waiting, waiting for them. They're astonished. I'm sure there's, it's, it's a little bit awkward as they, uh, as they see each other. It's like, what, do, what exactly do we do? This is uncharted territory. They're, so they're, they're just looking at each other. It's silence until suddenly the shot heard around the world. And then after that, nothing has been the same since. A volley of shots into uh, back and forth between both sides. And after a short amount of time, the British are chased all the way back to Boston, where they came from, by these Minutemen. The start of the American Revolution won by the Minuteman. Now, what is a Minuteman? A Minuteman is essentially a member of the militia uh, during this time, the American Revolution. Um, and essentially, what they were, uh, their purpose was to be ready for military duty at a minute's warning. See, the Battle of Concord, the battle that set the scene for the rest of the American Revolution, was won by these ordinary men who decided to be constantly prepared for war. Now, I come to the church today with one simple question, and it's this. Are you prepared? Now, when the enemy comes marching, will you stay asleep in your bed? 
Will you wait for the cavalry to arrive, the army that forms? Will you wait for them to squelch the resistance? Or will you wake up, pick up your musket, and fight for what's yours? Now, uh, if you want to put up the first verse there, uh, 1 Peter 5.8 says this. Hold up. I didn't even get my phone out, guys. I'm, I'm too passionate. Okay. Give me one second. <laughs> okay. 1 Peter 5.8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The devil is waiting in the shadows. He's waiting for you in the middle of your week. And that Tuesday night, when you're, when you're at your lowest point, when anxiety starts overwhelming you, when depression hits you like a truck, you better believe that the devil's not going to wait for Sunday for you to revitalize your spirit, for you to get that passion. He's not going to wait for that Sunday service, for that next youth rally, for you to finally get that fire to fight back. The devil will devour you the second he sees you weak. The devil is not merciful. So what shall we do? What, what can we do? If the devil will prey on us right when we're weak in that moment, what can we do? Well, luckily, uh, Peter was very generous. Uh, he didn't make us look very far. Actually, in the next verse, uh, he answers this question. First Peter 5, 9 says, resist him standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same sufferings. Peter said, resist him by standing firm in the faith. Now that word firm, I did a, I did a Google search. I'm sure we all know what firm is, but you know, little definitions don't, don't, uh, don't hurt at times. So I found two things. The first, to be firm is having a solid, almost unyielding structure. The second is something that is strongly felt and unlikely to change. Now, in other words, to stand firm, by definition and what Peter is saying here, to stand firm, we must have a solid, almost unyielding base in the faith. And not only that, it must be strongly felt and unlikely to change. In other words, constant. We need to have a constant we need to be constantly firm in our faith. Now, that doesn't just mean come in on Sunday morning, get prayed up, have, have the pastor pray for you, uh, get all your problems solved, and you feel you're on that emotional high, and then you go back on Monday, and you listen to the same music, and the devil starts reeling you in. <laughs> come on, church. <laughs> it's, it's unyielding. It's unlikely to change. Standing firm in your faith means that you don't compromise your faith in the middle of the week when it's not convenient. First uh, Thessalonians five sixteen through eighteen says this: Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, uh, I don't know about you guys. But the first time I was told that I should pray without ceasing, I was uh, a bit taken aback. I was flabbergasted, if you will. How can uh, you expect someone to pray without ceasing? You know what that means? That means praying without end. That means praying constantly. 24-7, you are praying to God. How do you do that? How do you eat? I mean, I feel like sometimes... I am, even, even in like the morning, morning prayer services, it's very easy to get distracted, guys. Like five minutes, and sometimes I'll, be, I'll already be thinking about something else. How am I expected to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week, constantly? Now, I guess I am a, if that's your shindig, if that's kind of what you want, if you want to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week, by all means, I'm not like going against that. Like, hallelujah, good for you. Um, but I don't think that's exactly what uh, Paul is trying to get at here. See, what does praying without ceasing mean? Well, to pray without ceasing means that your life should constantly, there's that word again, constant, reflect God. And Caleb was talking about this a little bit in youth class. We should be a constant reflection of God on other people. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. It means to stand firm in our faith and not just to stand firm on a Sunday morning, on a, on a Wednesday night at a, at a youth rally. It means on that Tuesday, 
when you're in, when you're in the dark and the enemy's trying to reel you in, you stand firm in your faith. That's praying without ceasing. That's being with God in wherever you walk and whatever you do. Praying without ceasing means that you have a continued dependence and you have that continued communion with the Lord. You want to know how to be spiritually prepared? Start praying without ceasing. Start living your life reflecting God. Your every day, everything that you do should be a reflection of God. It's not good enough to just come in on Sunday and feel the Spirit. Lord, we need to feel that same Spirit without change throughout the week. And whatever we do and everything that we do, we need to pray without ceasing. Now, it's really easy in the middle of the week, something comes at you and we, we try to fix it ourselves, you know? We're, on Sunday morning, we're, we're tight with God, you know, we're uh, linking arms, we're doing a bro hug or whatever. And then, and then on Monday, something comes up, you know, I got a, I don't know, uh, issue with taxes. Sure. I don't know how, how adult stuff works. You got, you got to do taxes. The, the, dog, the dog made your insurance go up or whatever. So you look at yourself, you're like, I don't know how to do this. I got to pick up a second job. So you, you lean on your own understanding, and you're thinking like, oh, how can I do this? And the more that you lean on your own understanding, you slowly start stepping away from God. I mean, in the next day, let's see, uh, other examples. Uh, your car breaks down, right? You're on the side of the road. You have no clue what to do. You lean on your own, you, you start YouTubing things. If you, and I mean, if you want to YouTube how to, how to change a tire, that's totally fine. But the more that we start leaning on our own understanding, then the more we think, oh, we don't really need God. And it's little, guys. It's little stuff. But the more that we start walk away, the more that we separate ourselves from him, Satan is waiting in the shadows. He's got a rope around. He's pulling us. He can't get to us when we're over there. But if he can pull us bit by bit, he's just waiting to devour us. If he can get us all the way out here, then we will be devoured. So if you don't live your life praying without ceasing, you're going to be over here, and you're going to get devoured. That's just the sad truth of it. If you don't live, it's not, it's not good enough to just have that spiritual experience on a Sunday. Because on that Monday, on that Tuesday, on that Thursday, you are going to start straying away, and you will be devoured. See, me personally, I want to pray without ceasing. I want to be close to God. I want God to show through me to God, God show through in me. I want to have that constant communication with him. Church, we need to start praying without ceasing. We need to stand firm in our faith. So I ask this again. Are you prepared? See, 1 Thessalonians, we just uh, read it a minute ago. The purpose of 1 Thessalonians was uh, Paul's letter to the church of Thessalonica. Um, this was a very good church. They did pretty much everything right, especially compared to some of those other churches who were doing loads of other crap, you know. Uh, so instead of pointing out this church's flaws and everything, instead Paul pointed their eyes to the future. What can we do to maintain this? What can we do to prepare ourselves for this? A lot of what First uh, Thessalonians is about is about Jesus' second coming. And pastor talked, uh, he spoke on a wonderful message last week um, about Jesus is coming soon. And it's true, guys. He's, he's coming soon. The evidence is all there. So, are you prepared? If Jesus came back right now, and I want you to, I want you to genuinely think yourself, if Jesus came back right now, would you be caught up with the angels? Or would you be left sitting, sulking in your seat? See, much like how the enemy won't wait for you to pray through on that next Sunday, for you to break, through, break, break that addiction at the next youth conference, I'm sorry to say it, but Jesus won't wait either. He has warned us that he's coming soon. We know that he's coming soon. So if we aren't ready for that, the only person to blame is us. He's coming soon, guys, and if we aren't prepared, that is on us. I'm going to flip the script once again um, to 1 Peter 3.15. And sorry, I know I'm going a little fast. If you're trying to follow along in a physical Bible, that's not, that's not easy. But um, <laughs> 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready 
always to give an answer to every man that asketh you for a reason of the hope that is in you and the meekness and fear. So I ask this again. If a friend or if a coworker asks you about your faith, what do you do? Are you prepared? Because not only is your eternity at jeopardy, because now theirs is as theirs is at well. Uh, there is theirs is as there is is as well. There's is as well, guys. They are now your responsibility. The second they ask you, what can I do to be saved? They are your responsibility. And you might be their only chance to make it to heaven. So how do you respond? Because the easy response, I'll tell you this, the easy, easy response is to say, oh, why don't you just come on to church with me on Sunday? I'll, I'll, point, you, I'll point you the direction of my pastor. He's that, the good-looking young man in the corner there talking to all the people. He'll, he'll answer all your questions. He's very spiritually filled. He will, he will give you all the right answers. And, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, bringing people to church. Obviously, that's, that's awesome. But a lot of the times, and a lot of my experience personally, people need to be met where they're at. It's not just enough to invite somebody to church. People need to be met where they are at. And you might be their only chance. So are you prepared? Are you prepared to witness? Because sometimes we waste that opportunity. We waste that chance to witness to them just by asking them to come to church. And if they don't, then that, then that question might never come up again. And I'm sorry, but their soul might be lost. And you have to be prepared for that. And that's hard. That's difficult, guys. I'm not saying this is easy. It's hard. Being spiritually prepared for that, for any circumstance, is so difficult. See, because if becoming spiritually prepared was a simple task, then everybody would be spiritually prepared, right? I mean, it's not easy. Being spiritually prepared, it takes time. It takes your time. It takes your energy. It takes your determination. It takes sacrifice. It takes a lot out of you to be prepared, to, be, to pray without ceasing. It takes a lot of effort. You have to want that. And it's hard. And it's not for everybody. But that's what the minute man was called to do. The minute man was called to be ready at a minute's warning. The minute man wasn't the strongest. He wasn't the most capable. Like I said, he's a militiaman. He's a citizen who's uh, recruited for military duty. He's just, he's just like a farmer, like everyday man. He's not the strongest. He's not the most capable soldier. He's no Goliath. But he was ready. He was prepared. He was devoted. See, when the Minuteman spots an attack from the enemy, he doesn't wait to pray through on Sunday. He drops to his knees. He drops to his knees where he's at. He recognizes that this can't wait another moment. When the Minuteman is asked, how can I be saved? He doesn't point them in the direction, oh, come to church with me. Oh, I'll point you into somebody who can uh, better answer your questions. No, he pulls out his Bible and he quotes scripture with the authority and the anointing that Jesus Christ has given you. He's given you the power. You don't have to be perfectly capable. Let God flow through you. You just have to be ready. You have to be willing. You have to be prepared. See, the minute man awaits the second coming eagerly because he's hid the word in his heart. He's not doubting. He, he knows that if I hide the word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The minute man is ready. The minute man knows. Church, Something is coming. I, uh, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm like super in the spiritual realm, like I'm not floating in the, uh, like this is all new to me, but I felt something the past uh, month or two. Um, a great disturbance, something like a, like a warning. I don't know what it is, but something is coming. I know my mom has shared uh, her experience with me. She feels a great disturbance. And, and a call, a push for something. And we don't know what it is. But we have to be ready. We have to be for, ready for whatever it is. Whatever it is, because it could matter. It could depend on us. Church, we are in desperate need of Minutemen today. Minutemen in our church. See, it's no longer good enough to wait for the next church-wide fast to sacrifice for ourselves, to sacrifice to intercede for our families. We need to start now. 
It's not good enough to just sit back in the, in the back row and wait for the Holy Spirit to hit you when it's comfortable. You need to run up to the altar and you need to get that blessing. You need to get that. You need to be prepared. You need to be ready. We need somebody who's devoted today. It's not good enough to, to promise for a prayer or uh, to promise a prayer for a, a, pr- a friend in need. When's the last time somebody asked you for a prayer and you said, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll throw in a prayer for you. I'll, uh, I'll add that to my prayer list or whatever. And how many times do you forget about that? <laughs> like, it's not just me, right? Like, I'll say, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll, uh, I'll keep that in mind. And I never do it. When, when is the last time you asked yourself, hey, why don't I just pray for you right now? It's the same God on a Sunday morning as it is on a Tuesday night when your friend asks you why. So why don't you pray for them right now? Intercede now. We can't wait any longer, church. The time is now. The Lord wants to do a great work. In this church, in this community, the Lord is ready to work. But we have to be the ones to execute. We are the body. We are the hands and the feet. We are called to go. And if we hesitate, we could miss it. What if we miss out on a great revival simply because we aren't prepared? Pastor was talking about it a couple weeks ago. He said, um, we, we pray for a great uh, surge into, into the church. We pray for a lot of people. Well, what if we can't handle that? It's all about preparation. We have to believe that something can happen, and we have to prepare for that. Mentally, physically, we have to be ready. So I, I say this as I close. My prayer for the church today is that we can be prepared. Be vigilant. Be ready. Be called. Be the minute man. That's all I have. Brother Zach, there was some unity with those Minutemen, right? They didn't wait to say, are they coming for my house? Are they coming for the house of the people that I care about? No, they're coming, and that's enough. I'm ready to fight because if they're coming for somebody that's in this community, then I'm standing up to them. That's an amazing word, young man, amazing word. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to take my text from 1 Kings 19, and I'm going to start in the third verse. For those of you that didn't know that you were going to get two sermons today, I apologize, but I'll still get you to lunch really quick, I promise. And if you felt guilty because you only put a little bit in the offering because there's one sermon and there's two, you you can give again. We'll we'll accept that. That'll be all right. But we're going to be talking about Elijah right here, 1 Kings 19 and 3. It says, Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone in the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside him was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank, and he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And with God's help today, I want to preach this thought. A snack, a nap, and a work yet to do. You see, Elijah was fresh off his greatest victory. A chapter ago, he had met with 850 false prophets on Mount Carmel, and he challenged them to prove who the one true God was. He walked in faith. He was forceful in challenging the enemy. On Mount Carmel, he even mocked the enemy. He had a boldness in his spirit. My God is the one that's going to respond with fire, and I'm so certain of it. Take some water and dump it on the altar, because this situation isn't impossible enough yet. I want God to move in a way that it casts out all doubt of who he is. And when God shows up, he does it just that way. He sends fire and he sends power. Elijah, you just had this life-changing encounter with the one true God. And then the enemy comes with fear. The enemy he just defeated. The enemy Elijah had just proved God is bigger than comes to him with fear. 
And how does he respond? He believes the lies of the enemy, and he allows himself to go into a depression. 1 Kings 19.1 says, When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including all the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me by this time tomorrow if I have not killed you just as, I, just as you has, have, have killed them. Jezebel, these gods who wouldn't respond at all, you're going to use their authority still, these false gods? But verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. You see, when fear came upon Elijah, he did two things. First, he ran away. And second, he isolated himself. I've had this in my heartbeat for a few months now. Because I feel like God has had an amazing encounter with somebody in this house today. You felt his power. You've seen his authority. You've seen him take over things in, in your life. You've seen him conquer the enemy. But the moment the battle is done, you've let your guard down. And instead of walking in that boldness of the spirit, you've allowed fear to enter your mind. You want to know why Elijah isolated himself? I believe he was ashamed of of what he was thinking and how he was feeling. He didn't want his servant or anyone else to see him in his moment of weakness. He cared more about his image than he did about asking for help to continue the fight. Oh, come on, I'm speaking to somebody today. The enemy knows if I can isolate you, I can get you away from the presence of God. I can get you away from the people that care about you. If I can get inside of your head, that's where you're going to lose. Get outside of your head today. Because when you stop pressing forward and you dwell in the negative thoughts, that's when the enemy can conquer you. But what you don't understand is my situation. You don't understand my circumstance. Friend of mine, what you don't understand is that your calling and your anointing are greater than your current circumstance. You can choose to focus on the here and now and the impossibility, or you can focus on the work that God has called you to do, and you can keep on pressing forward. The enemy can't destroy you if you keep on pressing forward. You go back down to verse number four, and it says, He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. The enemy says, I'm coming for you, Elijah. And he decides to just roll over and accept his fate. You know what the crazy thing is? This isn't the first time this same enemy has told Elijah, I'm coming after you to kill you. In 1 Kings 18, even before he went to the battle of Mount Carmel, the enemy had that out there. 1 Kings 18, 1, Elijah tells Obadiah, go and tell Ahab that I'm here. And and Obadiah responds, he says, I swear by the Lord your God that the king has searched every nation and every kingdom from end to end to find you. Elijah, the king's upset at you. He's been doing all I can to find you. He wants to get a hold of you and he wants to kill you. And you want to walk into his presence? Elijah says, go tell the king it's time for a showdown. Obadiah, but you don't understand. Jezebel's been searching for you, and she's already killed so many prophets that are preaching the word. We can't afford to lose you too, Elijah. Elijah can't afford to lose the battle, so he goes on. And yet here we are, a chapter later, that same Elijah is praying for death. How is it that we can have faith faith in the midst of a battle? How is it that we can have faith for other people? But when it comes to our situations, when it comes to our own personal battles, when it comes to our own weaknesses, our own insecurities, we can't have faith that God can do something in our lives. Because I'll fight for my community, and don't you dare come against my family. But if you want to attack me, well, I got to defend myself because I'm all, all on my own. You see, it wasn't until he was alone that depression hit him. You want to know why fellowship is so important? You want to know why we have so many events that we try to do? Because we know that when you're alone, the enemy is going to come after you. But if we can connect with one another, if we can fellowship with one another, if we can strengthen one another, there's strength in those numbers. You, you see if Brother Caleb walks in the doors and I see he ain't, that's not Caleb. He's not himself today. 
he must be going through something. I can, I can reach out a hand and I can say, Caleb, what's going on, man? How can I help? From across the congregation, I can say, Lord, you see it. You know what the need is. God, uplift my brother. And we can pray for one another. There's accountability that happens as well. You see, we see the burdens that people carry and we, we uplift them. But what we do a lot of times is God reveals something to us and we keep that for ourselves. And we keep that hidden because two reasons. One is because we think that, yes, God talked to me. It's very special. That's great. But two, we're afraid if we speak it out and it doesn't come to pass, we're going to be foolish. There's a level of accountability when we begin to speak out the promises of God. I'm challenging a congregation today to speak out in faith to somebody today. To say, you know what, this is what God's been dealing with me, and it doesn't make any sense to me, and I don't understand it, but I'm going to speak it out because you know what's going to happen is next week the enemy is going to come at me and say, that wasn't for you, that wasn't God, and there's going to be somebody that says, no, that was God. God revealed it to you, and you don't need to give up on it just yet. We need to get the enemy out of our head. You see, there's this thing with how God dealt with Elijah. Whether it was with the crows feeding him, the angels feeding him, or with the widow woman that fed him with with meal, whenever he needed his strength, God showed up just in time. Elijah's by the brook in the midst of a drought, and he runs out of food and water, and God sends him to, to a widow woman. 1 Kings 17, 12 says, But he said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I only have a handful of flour left in, in, a, in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. When Elijah meets this widow woman, it's someone else just stuck in an impossible situation, just willing to accept their fate. Elijah, I barely have anything left. I can't afford to help you with your need. Verse 13 says, but Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, but make a little bread for me first. Then what's left to prepare for yourself and for your son. Elijah was asking that widow woman, will you trust God just enough? With everything that you've got, will you allow God to use it for his purpose first? He's going to supply the need. You don't have to worry about that. Just give him what you've got. You know what's holding us back from our miracle a lot of times? Is, is that we're holding back something from God. Instead of trusting him, instead of saying, God, use it for your agenda. God, I don't have time. God, I don't have this. I don't have the resources. God, I barely had enough strength to get up out of bed today. God, I don't have the ability to do a work for you today. But God's saying, but will you do a work for me first? And then everything else that's on your agenda, I'll help you with it. But will you put me first today? Verse 14 says, for this is what the Lord, the the God of Israel says, There will be always be flour and oil left in your containers until the time the Lord sends the rain and the crops grow again. I love that. The promise just wasn't he's going to supply your need until the rain comes. But he said, no, not just till the rain comes, but until there's growth, until there's something new, until there's this season that you're going through, until it's over, God's going to supply everything. You don't have to worry about the end of this season. Those crops are going to grow again. So Elijah did, so she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days, and there was enough flour and oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. And some time later, the woman's son became sick, he grew worse and worse, and finally, he died. Can I show you what happens when you get inside of your head? Well, God said he promised the oil And the meal would survive until the rain came and the crops grew. But God never promised that my son and I would survive to see that. I'm speaking to somebody today. Stop twisting the words that God has spoken in your life and giving fear authority over them. Well, God said it, but it must not not have been just that way. No, God said it, so he meant it. And if fear and the enemy wants to come in, then God's going to defeat them too because he promised it. He's not done with you yet. Verse 18, then, Eli- then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? How have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? 
Elijah, I was never even worthy of this miracle. I didn't ask for it. I was content where I was. I was content with death. Why did you have to come into my life? And why did you have to give me hope? Elijah, you knew I wasn't worthy of it anyway, so why did you even address it? I'm speaking to somebody in the house today that feels that you're not worthy and you're not believing that God is who he says he is. If God said he has a plan for you, he has a plan for you and your past, your mind, the enemy, no one can take it away from you. Because what did Elijah do? He grabbed that little boy's dead body and he took it to the other room and he began to pray over it. And three times he lay down and he prayed, I'm not going to give up until I see life back in this boy. I'm speaking to somebody today. The enemy's trying to steal your joy. He's trying to steal your ministry. He's trying to steal your anointing. He wants you to believe that you were never worthy of it in the first place. Because you prayed, God, revive it, and he didn't. But I'm begging somebody today, pray again. You don't have to accept defeat. Go and pray again. I believe that revival is coming into somebody's life today. You might not have the strength to pray for it today. And you know what? That's okay. Because the Bible didn't say the widow woman cried unto the Lord. No, it said that someone who cared about her, who knew her needs, said, you know what? She doesn't have the strength to cry out, so I'm going to cry out for her. Come on today. I'm asking some people today. God, Lord, my brothers and my sisters, God, Lord, there's depression in the house today, God. Lord, there's fear in the house today. There's anxiety in the house today. Lord, there's things that people feel like they can't conquer themselves, God. I'm praying your authority takes over these situations, God. Lord, I don't want to stop until I see the miraculous in their lives, God. They might not have the strength to pray today, but God, that does not mean your promise is void. I believe we're calling someone out of a spirit of depression today. The enemy wants you to believe it's over. You've had victory in the past, but you've got nothing left. But the Lord is telling somebody today, I'm not done with you just yet. Did you know that Elijah performed 14 miracles in his life? Five. That's how many he, he, he performed before God sent down fire at Mount Carmel. He thought he was at the end of his ministry. He thought he had given all that he could give. And God said, no, you're just beginning. This is just the beginning. I've come to tell somebody today, you feel like I've given it all, there's nothing left. Get a snack, get a nap, because there's a work that God has for you to do today. I believe that God's speaking to some ministries today saying, it ain't over. It ain't even close to being over. It's just beginning. It's going to be bigger than you've ever dreamed of. Stop letting the enemy and fear dictate your life. He's in the house today and he's giving somebody their strength back. Because there's a work that needs to be done and he needs you to do it. What I found amazing is that whenever God directed Elijah's footsteps, the miraculous happened. Elijah, go to the brook. And the ravens fed him. Elijah, go to the village. And the widow woman fed him. Elijah, go to Ahab. And I'm going to send the rain. After the showdown on Mount Carmel, he said, go and look for the rain to come. And Elijah had enough faith to go and look seven times for that rain. Seven times he went and he just saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. But he believed. You see, when Elijah trusted God to direct his steps, when he stayed the course... That's when God moved. I can just imagine as he's standing on that mountainside with his servant, go look for the cloud. Go look. Go look at the sea. Elijah, there's nothing there, man. God said he's going to supply the rain. Go look again. Five, six times he comes back. Elijah, there's nothing there. I wish someone today would remember where their strength comes from. I don't care if you have to get up and go look a hundred times. If God said the rain is coming, God is sending the rain. But Elijah, I don't see anything. I just see something so small. It's just the size of a man's hand. But God, I need a giant answer today, and I'm not seeing anything big. All I see is just a small thing that you're starting. That's God's answer, and that's God's promise. You better get to go running wherever he called you to go, because the rain is coming. You see, Elijah needed a storm, but he didn't wait for God to respond with the storm to move. Once he saw God move in a small way, he said, that's enough confirmation for me. And he got up and he took off running. It says that he had so much strength that he outrun a chariot. 
I believe that, that, that God wants to direct someone's footsteps today. He's saying, I know you're in the middle of a drought, but guess what? The drought's over today. I'm going to rain favor upon somebody today. But Elijah would allow fear to direct his footsteps as well. And that's how he fell into a depression. The enemy wanted him dead before. Even before God used him in a mighty way, the enemy wanted him out of the picture. And the difference between now and before is instead of walking in the boldness of the Lord, he listened to the lies of the enemy. You want me to speak truth today? The enemy wants to destroy you. The enemy wants to do all he can to stop the work of God, to put separation between you and your promise and your calling. You want some more truth today? As long as you keep going where God sends you, the enemy can't destroy you. But if we can just stop listening to the lies of the enemy, if we can stop listening to fear, we can be victorious. I believe that God's in the house today and he's calling someone to get their strength back. He's calling somebody to get some rest. Let's go back to, woe is me, I might as well die, Elijah, down in verse number nine. And he says, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken down their covenant with you. They've torn down altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Elijah was, he was pleading before God, God, I've given it my all, man. I'm the only one left. I'm doing all this work, and it just looks like it's, it's for vain. Because I thought when I defeated the enemy that, that you were going to respond and your people were going to be risen up in a mighty way. But instead, I'm still being attacked, God. I don't understand it. There's not any fight left in me. Verse 11 says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And the Lord told him, and as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was a, such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper, that still small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he gave that same excuse. But God, I've zealously served you. I've done all these things. All the powerful things happening around him, it was that still small voice that got Elijah's attention. Sometimes we think it's going to take this big giant thing for God to wake us up and to, to, to see where we're at and to see our situation. But it's that still small voice. And what I love is while Elijah continues to complain again and he gives all the reasons why he's not doing what he was called to do. Explaining why there's not a reason to fight anymore. It's just a lost cause. God gives him instructions. He says, I've got kings for you to go anoint. Go anoint kings because I'm going to prepare a work for them. I need you to go find Elisha and I need you to anoint him because I've called him to be a prophet. Oh, and by the way, Elijah, you're not alone. There are 7,000 other souls that have yet to bow. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy saying that they've won. I need you to get your strength back, Elijah, and I need you to get back into the fight. While Elijah didn't have the strength to go and fight the same fight that he had before, what he didn't yet understand was not every battle is going to be the same. God was calling Elijah to a season of transition. He was used to being on a big stage. He was used to, to doing mighty works and, and being front and center. Now God said, I'm calling you to train somebody else up. His identity had changed, but the anointing had never left him. God isn't always going to use you the same way. But that doesn't mean he's done using you. The enemy wants you to believe that God's forgotten about you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He just has a new work for you to do. It might be different than the work that you did in the past. But you know what? It's essential. Elijah could have said, but God, you called me to walk in boldness and to fight prophets and to step before kings. Lord, you've used these hands to do the miraculous. Lord, you've, you've, I've seen dead bodies raised with these hands. And you want me to be a mentor now? That's not my calling. We need to stop telling God how to use us and learn to be obedient to his voice. 
You see, God still used Elijah in mighty ways. Later on, he would, he would pray, and there would be fire that came down from the heavens to destroy the enemy. He parted the Jordan. He did amazing things. But you know, the greatest thing that he ever did was he helped raise up the next generation. He helped inspire a next generation to say, you know what, follow after me as I follow after God, because he's about to do something that's amazing. When we get our focus on God, things can change. I'm going to get personal for a moment. Uh, when God first started to talk to me about this message, I told my wife, we were driving one day, and I said, hey, I got, God wants me to preach on this. Because I feel like, like people are stuck in an area of depression, and I feel like people are stuck in an area where they feel like they've got nothing left in their ministry. And, and God wants to raise people out of these things. And in that moment that we were talking about this, uh, I didn't realize that God was, was trying to, use me to understand these things. And sometimes I just wish God could just give me a thought and not make me live it. That would be great. But that's not how it works in my life, apparently. Because this place that we had been in, I, I, I've, we had just taken on a challenge that I thought I would never take on. And, I, and if you've ever been there before where you're stepping out into an area of faith that's very uncomfortable, there's a level of excitement to it, and it's also very terrifying at the same time. And that's what was happening. And we felt like we could conquer the world. We were gonna take the world head on, And then wouldn't you know, the enemy came and he hit me right between the eyes and he started reminding me of all the ways that I'm inadequate. You don't have the strength to handle this. You don't have the answers for this. Your timeline doesn't make any sense. You're just gonna fail and you're just gonna disappoint everybody. Why are you giving your hopes up? Why are you even talking about this? Because it's never gonna happen. And I wish I could say that I shook it off and I looked at the enemy and I said, you're a liar and my God is bigger. Because I got confirmation after confirmation after confirmation in the last week and a half. I know that this is what God wants to do in my life. But I couldn't get him out of my head. And I just wanted to cry. And I kept replaying situations over and over again in my head. Every time that I had failed, every time that that words were spoken against me that, that weren't out of aught, but they were just words that tore me down. I kept playing them over and over in my mind thinking, you deserve that. You deserve this. You're you're just, why are you trying to walk outside of your lane? Stay in your lane. Just be quiet and do what you're supposed to do. It was seven o'clock at night and I went to bed. And I'm a night owl. I don't go to bed early ever. And my wife walks in the room and she says, are you okay? And I said, Sarah, I just can't anymore today. I just don't have the strength. Because if I know if I stay up any longer, it's going to keep going on in my mind and I'm going to get to a really dark place and I can't afford to go there right now. So I'm just going to go to bed. It's okay to have moments of weakness. No one's perfect all of the time. No one's strong all of the time. But it's okay to go to God and say, God, I just need rest. And I wish I could tell you that the next day that I woke up and I was excited, I was ready to go and I was revved up, ready to take on the world. But I was still struggling. It's okay to have struggles, but what's not okay is to live in the struggle. What's not okay is, is to stay in the, the mindset of defeat. And you want to know how I got my strength back? I prayed, God, I need strength. I've got nothing left. And I would love to tell you that in that moment, fire came down and God lifted me up. And it was an amazing thing. But I just struggled and pushed through and did all I could. Because later on in that day, a coworker comes up to me and we start making small talk. And in the midst of a conversation, God guides it to an area that we probably should have never been talking about anyways. And he says, what's going on? I so told him about the challenge that I had ahead, the fear that I was consumed by, and how I was feeling paralyzed. And as I'm telling this story, he's starting to point out, well, that's a lie. That's not true. Well, the, you got confirmation over that. You, you, the, the, that doesn't make any sense. And God, God's not going to do this. And, and as he's speaking, my faith is beginning to rise up. At the end of the, the, that conversation, I walked away and God asked me a simple question. He says, are you going to give in to fear? Or are you going to trust that I can give you the strength to overcome this challenge? You see it as a failure. I just see it as a moment of rest. Now get up and go get your strength. If the music wants to come, I'm beginning to close today. As I was getting ready for this sermon, I, I'm a creature of habit, and I have certain playlists that I always listen to when I'm preparing. 
and I changed it up this time. God had laid a specific artist on my mind, and I, I started listening to Anthony Tremble's music on my playlist. And if you've never listened to Anthony Tremble, I need you to go home, put, get out Spotify, get out Apple Music, get out whatever device you use, and add him to your playlist. Anthony Tremble, Anthony Tremble was, was an anointed apostolic man of God. And I said was because he died a few years ago. He was a young man in his 30s. He had a wife and he had young kids. And as he's dying of cancer, he's writing some of the most beautiful worship songs I've ever listened to. Writing songs like For My Good. And the chorus of that song says, You are not done with me yet. You are not done with me yet. Let my heart never forget that you're still working for my good. I feel like that's my prayer today for this church. God's not done. He's not done with you yet. He's still got something. He's working on things behind the scenes, and he's just waiting for you to be prepared to have the strength to say, you know what? I'm ready for it. If we can all stand, I'm going to wrap up with this thought. 1 Kings 19, 7. I'm going to go back to it for just a moment. It says, Then the angel of the Lord came, came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much. So he got up and he drank, and the food gave him enough strength. Elijah was emotionally wounded. God didn't ask him to move forward without first supplying the rest and the strength that he needed to move on. God's in this place today. He wants to prepare somebody for your journey. I also want to point out, God didn't wait for Elijah to say, you know what, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to move on. God let him vent about the reasons why it wasn't going to work and what he couldn't do, but God still said, you know what? That doesn't change anything. I've still got a work for you to do today. I believe that God's on the outside of this church and he's just asking today, what are you doing here? I've called you to move. I need you to move. I've called you to ministry. I need you to go into this ministry. I'm talking to some wounded people today, but, but Josh, I feel God speaking to my life, but I'm just not ready yet. Will you step outside of of yourself today? Will you step outside of fear? And will you say, Lord, God, if you believe in me, then I'm going to believe in myself today. God, you're not done with me yet, Lord. Can we fill this altar today? Today. Make me a house of prayer.